Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Well, the sermon's already started. You can be seated, I guess. And um, Kelsey and Corey, I want to do glory to his name here during communion. So if you guys can be ready for that, be awesome. Well, I want to say God's been doing and moving in an amazing way these last few weeks as we've been in this series. And uh, he's been touching and doing during our times of communion together. Um, And just so thankful for, if you'll open up your heart, you'll see him. If you have eyes, what does the scripture say? Give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear. Anybody got eyes to see, any ears to hear of him today? I believe he'll touch you. If even I can just get the hem of his garment. You know, there's a persevering type of believer that if you can just touch the hem of his garment, his power can flow into your life. But I believe we've lost the art of going for the hem of his garment, just like the woman with the issue of blood. She tried everything else, every prescription, every remedy. None of it worked. She had the issue for close to two decades, the scripture says. But she knew if she could get to her healer, she could touch the hem of his garment, that something miraculous would take place. And know today that don't be a passive Christian. Go for the hem of his garment. Because when you touch him, power will touch you. Love will touch you. Grace will touch you. Praise God, mercy will touch you. And I want you to be, I want to be a Christian that never gets, never makes the touch of God common. Never takes church for granted. The gathering of the saints, the gathering of the believers. You know, we opened up with the creed. This is the Nicene Creed, the council in 324 that put together that this is what we believe. That when error, when heretical teaching, when wrong doctrine tries to stand against the church, what did Jesus say? That on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You are a part of a living, not an organization, not an institution, but you're a part of something that is more of an organism. It is alive. It is moving. It is missional. God is working behind the scenes of your life. And as we gather together with faith, as we gather together around the body and blood of Jesus, you know, not everyone who gathers is a church. There are certain non-negotiables that have to be present to say, This is a church. This is an ecclesial gathering. And in the world we live in today, there's so many expressions, flavors, thoughts, commentaries. And I pray today that as we move forward, as we build, I I say this week in and week out, that God is building something here. And it's not just to follow and be a bigger church, have more seats in a sanctuary but that he's doing something unique. He's molding something where my heart is, you build it, 
you make a place because if you build it and you make it, the gates of hell won't prevail against it and you'll come and sit with us and meet with us. And I believe what has started at the first of the year has been in preparation for what we'll see in a greater degree. And so my heart is that everyone come along this journey, that you break complacency out of your life, that you begin to seek the Lord because when you seek him, you'll find him. And I want us to find him when we're here. I don't want this to just be another series, another sermon, another Good Friday, another Easter, but that you are meeting with the living God. And as you meet with him, we're changed in his presence. We're changed by his touch. We're healed. We're the, the strongholds of the enemy are unwound in our life. If you're taking notes, I want to preach on the majesty and the mind of Jesus. The majesty in the mind of Jesus. I want to welcome, if it's your first time here today, um, if it's a baby's first time here today, I love you. I love the life that babies bring. I have three kids myself. I can preach through just about anything because I'm used to crying. So you're, you're, you're in a good place. Um, and if it's your first time visiting, uh, we love Jesus. We love his presence here. We love his spirit here. Um, don't be fooled just because we're a small church doesn't mean we serve a small God. But we serve a big God here. And the scripture says, don't despise small beginnings. He loves to see the work begin. And God is beginning a work here. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to be, I want to be, the type of Christian when Jesus said, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, talking to some of his disciples saying that this is the path of communion if you're going to grow and be transformed. He said this hard thing, and it says that there were those that walked away because they didn't understand, and they didn't want to understand. Put this down. <laughs> and then he says, after those walked away, he turned to some of his other disciples, and he said, do you want to leave too? Jesus didn't play games. And Jesus also communicated on a level that was far beyond our understanding. Has there ever been a time you went and you went to seek an answer from Jesus? We're actually going to see this today in the scripture. But you go to find an answer from Jesus, and the reply is something. You think because I ask a question, he has to give me a yes or a no or something that makes sense to me. But a lot of times he'll give you an answer that's beyond your understanding. And you got to seek him a little bit. you got to fast a little bit. You've got to... Uh, get in his presence, and it's almost as though something begins to grow, and out of the fruit of that growth, you find your answer. Jesus is not a f so fundamental all the time to where you get a yes or a no, but you have to seek him and enjoy the journey and the mystery of it because you find life at the end of what you seek and how you go to know him. Colossians 1, 13 through 18, this speaks of the majesty of Jesus. Majesty means royalty, beauty, magnificence. Anybody believe Jesus is magnificent? He is supreme. He is on the throne. No politician, no government, no nation can dethrone him. No religion is above him. But Jesus is supreme, and he is your God. And thank God you found him, and you're growing in him. When Jesus, it's the scripture says, if he be lifted up, 
I will draw all men unto myself. If he be the highest point, the highest axis, the highest part of your life, that is how you're continually drawn into him. But if he's down here, if he's just a part of your life, if he's a Sunday check-in, and he's not magnificent, then there's not going to be a draw, a beauty, and allure because you're blind to it because he's not the goal. He's not the fulfillment. Jesus is the blessing of your life. He's not the person who gets you a little bit of extra or he, just a little bit more faith or a little bit more blessing or a little bit more prosperity. He is the prosperity. He is the blessing. He is the healing. And if we can begin to see Jesus in that light, then the, what he has created will then be added to you, but it's not the goal of it. So the goal of the series is that you begin to seek Jesus, and as you seek him, he'll add to your life that which you have need of. It's not a formula to get more healing, a formula to get more faith. It's lifting him up, and he will draw what you need into your life. Scripture says this. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Somebody say amen. You're delivered from darkness today. He has conveyed us or brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption. Up here you have the NLT, I'll read that. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. It's another good place to say amen. Hear this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This changes everything. We didn't always know who God was, but then when we knew Jesus, now the picture of God is revealed. Now we know who God is because he's perfectly revealed in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. His name is Jesus. He existed before anything and was created and is supreme over he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things, next slide, that we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities, and unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, amen, which is his body. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. The King James will say that he has the preeminence. He is supreme. He is the head. He is the alpha. He is the omega, that he is over all principalities and powers, you know, it's amazing when you think of Jesus and his majesty. It begins to change the way that we steward his presence. If you didn't know this, as a priest of your home, male or female, you're called to steward his presence, to be a broker of his presence. And I feel that many times we come into church, we want his presence. But if in every other part of your life, if there's no secret place, if there's no stewarding him, you just don't come to church to get a drug known as his presence. Jesus is not a drug 
to get filled with something or to get a shot of something. And I think we can misunderstand his glory. We can misunderstand what the purpose of his presence is. And quite frankly, the biggest place I want to steward his presence is yes, in God's house. But first and foremost, I got to ask myself, can I steward the presence of God in my living room? Can I steward what is on my TV for my kids or myself? Can I steward what is coming into my home? Are the scriptures read? Is God's presence welcomed? Is, do my children hear prayer? Am I praying for my wife? All of these things, can we, we expect God's presence to be stewarded in our gatherings, but is it stewarded even in our living rooms? And I'm preaching to myself today because this has to be the place. If it's not stewarded there, why would he trust us to steward it anywhere else? Because the goal of life is, is he is lifted up, as he is lifted high, then you should be able to steward him, his presence in your work truck. You should be able to steward him when you're on the job and you're praying you're, what you're listening to to keep you motivated, to get you through the day, how you're taking care of your health, your body. All of these areas, we steward him, we honor him, we glorify him, not just in words, but we can glorify him with our bodies. We're the temple of God. I mean, when you marvel at how we are the temple of God, it, it, it changes what we do and how we act. Not, I have to do and act in order for him to touch my life or to his presence to come in my life. It's when he's so good in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, he touches us. And out of this majestic touch, we then say, I want to orient my entire life around that. And as my life changes, as I'm transformed, as my mind is renewed, then his presence becomes more real. It becomes more tangible. Because at the end of the day, and I think about this, every time I pray for my children, I'm praying for my grandchildren at the same time. The seeds that are being planted, what I'm believing God for his perfect will in their life. That if we begin to see the legacy of what is happening when you're praying for the next generation or you're praying for your family, you are praying for generations far beyond you. God sees the big picture. We can usually just see the moment, but we've got to always think beyond the moment. So we see and we have to understand the majesty of God, the goodness of Jesus, that he rule and reigns. He is over all. But a lot of times we don't live our life as though he is majestic. Maybe we've not encountered him that way. Maybe we don't know him in that light. Maybe it's just a relationship in word, but he's not changed us at the core. And I'm speaking from experience. Unless he's changed you at the core, unless his love has so permeated and been shed abroad on every part of your life, you're just gonna check in, you're gonna check out. Jesus is just a part of your life. He is not the goal of your life. And we've gotta allow his presence to break in. And like it says, we have to be given a heart of flesh and take the heart of stone. That's what his presence always does is he touches the stone and he puts a heart of flesh in its place. He touches the anger and he puts joy in its place. He touches the bitterness and puts peace in its place. I'm telling you, when you get in his presence, it's like a waterfall that comes over you and it washes out and it never stops. But the enemy through sin distraction, distortion, what does he do? He tries to block the flow. 
where if he can get the flow, he can get your heart, he can get your mind. He can stop the renewal that's supposed to be happening in your life. You know, Paul says this, and this is where I want to see to the mind. I want you to think of the mind. And dad, you've taught me a lot about this. Put you on the spot. If you could pick up the microphone, you put up on the screen the scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. Hopefully you brought your glasses today. If you could just read this for us, 1 through 5. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Amen. King James will say, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our warfare, it's not carnal, but it is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready, I like this, to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You've got to punish. You've got to almost be violent with thoughts that do not align themselves with the word of God. You ever had a, a bad day where it's almost as every five minutes you're just being hit with a lie? You're being hit with some anxiety. You're being hit with fear. And it's almost as though it can become so overwhelming and it gets so complex that you feel that you're just frozen in the day. And you're like, where is my victory? Why am I not speaking in faith? Why am I not speaking right things? Why am I listening to the false prophet, the enemy, speaking the lies? Well, Paul gives this example that you've got to, or this truth, that you've got to pull down strongholds. And the thing I've come to know about strongholds is they're like a castle. And every, every disobedient thought that you allow to pass through into your mind, it's as though there is, I'm going to start really preaching good. Um, there's, it's like brick and mortar that is added, and it's just one brick goes to the castle. And there's this stronghold that begins to be built. And the thing we've got to recognize is there's always two strongholds being built and you have, you give access to say, come on in, disobedient, evil thought. Or the other stronghold is that which the spirit of God is building in you. And as you pull down every mighty thing in the spirit, not fighting it in the flesh, then you're building a stronghold for the spirit of God to dwell. So there's always this war going on within of, of what are we going to put brick and mortar to? What are we going to allow come through the eye gate, the ear gate, become a thought? We meditate on that thought, and then it, as it's meditating, it gets down in our spirit, whether good or evil, and it begins to build a stronghold. So we have to decide at the moment of the activity of the thought, it has to be cast down. If you can be quick at anything, it's casting down 
imaginations. It's casting down wrong motives. It's casting down anything that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God, like it says. It's bringing it into submission. It's bringing it into captivity. And you might be in a place you don't know where this thought is coming from. Well, guess what? It's time to bring on an interrogation. You put that thought to the test to God's word and you interrogate the life out of that thing. And guess what? The enemy, he's not that crafty. He'll bring a lot of the same things at you. And so if you begin to build up some resistance, then the enemy is gonna know you mean business after a while when you keep saying no to that thought. No, you will not pass by. No, you will not come into my mind. No, I will not believe that conspiracy. No, I will not believe that lie. I will not listen to fear, doubt, unbelief. Then guess what? You're gonna wear, the Christ in you is gonna wear the enemy out. Anybody wanna disarm and wear the enemy out? Stop believing some lies? telling you, many of us, we are trapped in a cycle of fear, doubt, and unbelief because we've not mastered this truth and this principle that Paul is teaching us of he has to be majestic, he's on the throne, and knowing that he loves me, he's reconciling me, he's redeeming my life, Christ is not mutable, he is immutable, he does not change, and so if I can trust in his promises, then anything I bring to that promise he has to fulfill that word in my life, whatever he speaks, whatever he said. And so you've got to, and this is what I fear about a generation coming up, is it's just all about more of a, of a passive approach, more of just, I just, I sit, which you've got to sit, but then you have to go and war against that thing. You've got to then take up the weapons of your warfare that are in Christ and begin to take the battle to the enemy. Yes, you've got to have a tender heart, but it has to be tender like leather. You've got to have a standard that is raised of because you've been in the presence of God, nothing else will satisfy, nothing else will do. I will not listen to the lies of the enemy. I will not just be defensive, but praise God, I can be offensive. I can raise a resistance. I can be preventative. This is how good our God is. And when Jesus is first place, when he is when we realize this and we keep him on the throne of our lives and not allow these strongholds to come, then we're gonna have victory. We've gotta cast it down. We can't believe the lies. You know, I love this about when you see the disciples that they were all given new names. If you didn't know this, the disciples, when they came to follow Jesus, they were given new names. And this should give us hope because God gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity when we come to him. We're not bound to the past. We're not seen. It is what we did the, when we've repented, when we've allowed the, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus to make us new. Then you are not held captive to your past anymore, to your past sin, to what you've done. And this should be a place of rejoicing because many of us, we stay there and that past is a stronghold. There's some of you, your past is a stronghold today. You might not realize it, but you're still living out of that place because you're fearful, fearful or there's an, an insecurity or there's a, a hush and a, and a whisper that's reminding you of what you did there. And how could you do that there and ever think God could use you or love you here? You know, I was thinking one place in the Bible we see this is with Nathaniel in, in John chapter one. And um, this is where Nathaniel hears of Jesus, 
And he says this in John 1.45. You put this up. He says, um, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? You've probably, you've heard this before. And when you look at this a little deeper, Nathaniel is referring to Jesus. Look at um, how defamating this is. He's not even referring to Jesus as a person. He's a thing. So you can see that the, the unbelief that's there of what good thing. We've heard of this Jesus, but what good thing could come out of Nazareth? And what the beauty of it is, is if you go on to read down through the scripture, I believe it's 46 and 47, you can read it later. But Jesus comes to Nathanael in his unbelief and doesn't scold him, doesn't put him in his place because you've just disrespected me, you've dissed me. He sees Nathanael and he says, ah, Nathanael, in you, in the King James, it says, I have found no guile in you, i.e., I have found no hypocrisy. I have found no fraud. I see integrity in you. And in that moment, he's calling him in the natural to that which is supernatural to who he will be. He's calling him forward, not keeping him bound in the moment, not calling him to what his past is. But he's calling Nathaniel forward. And this is what he does to us. He sees who we are before we even know it. Many of us have not even reached the full potential in Christ of who we're called to be. But we're at, that's the beauty of when we're in his presence. Even when we say, what good can come out of me? What good can even Jesus bring to me? And you watch what he does. This is how good our God is. Don't believe these lies. We've got to violently cast the strongholds down. I'm telling you, if we can get free in our mind, then we get free in our bodies. We have a generation that's coming up who's believed the lies of gender, who believes the lies of these strongholds, these principalities of sexuality. And I'm telling you, we can't fight it just in the carnal. We can have all the best teachers and we can have all the best policies, but if we don't fight it at the level of the spirit, we're gonna miss the fullness of what God wants to do. We've gotta fight it. And guess what, parents? It has to start first in your home. You are called to disciple your children. Not their private Christian school, though they will. Not their friends. Not the media. Not YouTube kids. Whatever it is, you are called to disciple your children. And this is a mandate we take at this house very serious. We're going to disciple our kids. It's not somebody else's job. It is our job. And everything that's even... Your children are learning downstairs in children's church. Over in GPC kids, they're getting the word of God in them so that they can stand against the devil. Somebody say amen. We're not gonna be passive on this and we're not gonna be apologetic about it. We live in a time and an age you can't just coast. I'll just put them on autopilot. They'll get it, I got it. It's not that bad. Well, when you pull the cover back or the cover's pulled back of what's actually happening, it disgusts you of what's going on in our world. And the church is the answer. And we're gonna be that answer. And we're not gonna be intimidated by what other people think or what the world says we should do. The gates of hell will not prevail against us in Jesus' name. So we've gotta 
address these strongholds. I, I have said this before, but I can't control when the bird lands on my head, but I can control if I allow that bird to build a nest there, right? I can't control when something happens in the moment and I have to react to it, but I can't control if I live in it, if I let it fester, if I let something build up, if I take the bait of the offense. You know, I've come to find you can still honor people, but not dip into their dysfunction, not dip into the mess, not dip into the place of where that spirit is trying to draw you in. You can live above that, and you can actually minister to it when they're coming against you or trying or not seeking God's best in your life. You know, and, and I feel this, that there's this holy indignation in me this morning that I want you to be set free today. And I believe the Spirit of God is gonna reveal certain strongholds to you. I believe he already has. And if you will lay it on the altar today when we're taking communion, I believe that this can be the first step forward of you getting victory in that area of your life. Because your strongholds aren't just about you, they're about your children. They're about your spouse. Because they don't just affect you, they affect everyone around you. So we see this. We see Jesus go into the wilderness. You know the story. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the enemy. And what does he use to dethrone the enemy? The scriptures, the word of God. Three times, three different points of temptation. I want you to see um, the second really stone or temptation or um, fiery dart the enemy tries to throw at Jesus as he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. So he's being tempted there. And as he's even being tempted there, you gotta know this, that he's representing us there and showing us of how we, his body, overcome the enemy. So you want a secret or a mystery here of what Jesus is doing in the wilderness where you're about to get it, of how you can dethrone the enemy how you can unlock and use the scripture as Jesus did. And isn't it funny that Jesus, or the enemy, what does he do here? He twists the scripture, right? He uses that which he thought Jesus would fall for. Well, what did he do in the garden to Eve? He twisted what God had said. This is what he always does. Again, if you're looking for a devil in some pitchfork on a, in a puppeting children's church, you're gonna miss him because he comes looking like the very thing you want. He comes even looking, the scripture says, is an angel of light. We can't be deceived. We've gotta know his ways and he usually will come with a vice. He will come to the point of our flesh where we are weak because he knows that that's where he can get us. And he comes to Jesus of saying, hey, you can have all the power you want but you don't have to take the cross to get it. This is what he's appealing to Jesus in his flesh. Jesus is hungry. He's fasting. So the enemy thought he could get him at the weakness of his flesh. But Jesus, man, he is the word. He knows the word. So the fact that he thought he could draw a, a fair fight here just shows how stupid the enemy is. So we see what happens. Matthew Four, five through six, it says, then the devil took him up to the holy city 
And he said, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, just throw yourself down. Here's where he quotes the scripture. Out of context and doesn't finish it. He says, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You know what he's quoting here? Psalms 91. Using Psalms 91, he's saying, hey, doesn't the scripture say this? But it's amazing when you actually go, let's go read Psalms 91 because the enemy here um, stupidly leaves out the next verse. And this is how good your God is. Look, Psalms 91 says this. It says, they will hold you up with their hands and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Here's where we see it. You will trample, so this is the next verse in verse 13. So that's where he says you're gonna, you know, they will hold you up, these angels will, so you won't gash your, your foot. But it says you will trample upon the lions and the cobra. And hear this, you will crush the fierce lions and the what? And the serpents under your feet. Wouldn't it be funny if he would have continued the verse because he would be declaring his own defeat. This is how wise we may think the enemy is, but how stupid he is at the same time. Man, I think sometimes we give him too much credit. We think we can never overcome him. But Jesus knew the word, and he knew what came next after that. He could tell you had a good laugh at this dart that the enemy tried to throw against him. No, he always takes and will twist the word of God in your life. That's a lot of the times, as you are, if you're a mature believer, mature Christian, it's you're believing the wrong understanding of a scripture about yourself, about your family. My family will never be saved. Um, the, that prodigal will never come home. When he gets you thinking in certain absolutes, he's got you speaking and believing and walking in something that is not him, but it looks like him just enough to get you to believe it. We've got to know this and we've got to understand this. You know, if you read in Luke's gospel, Luke 4, 13 is where we would find this temptation taking place. And it even says that the enemy, that he was going to come back when a better opportunity came. And the devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. You know, I believe if the enemy still had the stomach to come back after Jesus again, how much more his bride, his church, is he looking for opportunities to come after us? And this is why I believe if we're not, if we're not ready when he comes in five minutes, because we live such a compromised life and we have a compromised spirit, we don't understand of how we're to gird ourselves up in Christ that we're gonna continually walk in defeat because the enemy is always looking for that opportune time. But here's what I'm telling you today, and here's the victory and hope we have. You've gotta wear him out with the word of God. It only took Jesus three scriptures to get him to go. David needed five stones. I would say, let's start with David, start with five. And when the enemy comes and says about your family, let's start with John three sixteen. We all know this one. Here's a stone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. Guess what? The prodigal in your life is a whosoever. 
and grace can find them. Mercy can get to them. They're not left orphaned and alone. So you've got to use the word of God to fight the stronghold because the beauty of it is, again, there's two strongholds happening here. As you take a brick from the enemy's castle, guess what? The kingdom of God in your life is growing stronger. The brick gets transferred. You, don't, you aren't left empty-handed. You aren't left alone. That the word of God says he is a strong tower that we can run to and find refuge. It's good truth today. And I'm telling you, if you will allow the enemy to dethrone, if you allow the spirit of God in you to dethrone those strongholds, there will be a transfer where you will start to build a resistance. You will have a stamina. You will have a strong stomach. It's a muscle you've got to work out. And you will begin to see the power that comes when you know his word and you just don't know it and speak it, but you actually go live it. You, your kids, your, those around you will see when anxiety leaves you. Oh my gosh, something has changed. This is what Kelsey's talking about. This is when it gets in you, it's worship to say, look at how the word of God has changed my life. And let me tell you, you're struggling with this thing. You need to begin to use the scripture to defeat the enemy in that area of your life. I'm telling you, it is life-changing when you marvel on that this is how we grow in Christ. This is how we are, what we understand, renewed in our mind. Starts here. It's a battle of the mind. Don't give him a place. Or if you come, I want to close with this. You know, we've got to understand, too, that the word of God, uh, the world will say is foolish, right? This is what the enemy wants to get you to think. This is really kind of the posture of pop culture is that the word of God is archaic. It's ancient. It's old. It doesn't work. It's racist. It's homophobic. It's misogynist. You put an, a, a title to it. Someone said it about it to get you to stop seeing its pot potency. The word of God is potent. It is so potent. Hebrew says that it's like a sword dividing almost to the place of, a, of, a, of a, a surgical knife, that it gets into the parts of our life. It divides the bone and the marrow. It, it gets to those parts of our life, those strongholds, those places of trauma, that abuse that happened to you, that unforgiveness that's so burrowed down deep. It gets into the places and it begins to be like a physician. And I can tell you that physician's hand isn't shaky. It's not unknowing, but it can touch you. And here's where I'm saying when the presence of God touches you, there's moments it's like a scalpel that cuts and it hurts. But it's the presence of God. Hear this. The Holy Spirit is like an anesthesia. If you get in his presence, he can begin to cut and you say, oh, get it out of there. What I thought would hurt when you touch it, I'm feeling freedom the cancer is leaving. The cancer of sin, the cancer of the chronic pain and the worry that I've had for years. See, many of us, we've been told because my parents were this way, it's inevitable I'm going to be this way. Because grandpa did this, then I've got to pay that sin. I'm telling you today, he's given you a new name. And the only thing, here's the power. Again, the only way the enemy gets into your life 
is if you open the door and you say, come on in. And a lot of us do it out of ignorance. We're saying, well, I, th- I thought I'm, I'm doing everything and I'm, I'm, I'm using the word. But this is where you need the presence of God to say, where is the door opening up where familiar spirits are coming, generational spirits? Because those things do exist, but you have the key. And Christ is your refuge. They can knock all day long, and they will. But you have the power to say, am I going to open it or am I going to keep it closed? And then to the point of, am I going to begin resisting it and pushing it back and pushing it down to the pits of hell where it belongs? Come on. This is where we find freedom. This is where it happens. Last Bible story. You ready? John 14. This is about Philip. Philip catches word that the Greeks want to come and, and hear about more of who this Jesus is. And Philip, in his finite mind, is looking for a yes or no from Jesus. Jesus, do you want to talk to them? Yes or no? And again, this is where we go to Jesus. Give me a yes. Give me a no. Give me a light. Give me a dark. Give me a good. Give me a bad. But look what Jesus' response is here. Jesus says this. He said, He answered them, answered Philip, saying, do you want to meet with these Greeks? And he says in John 14, 23, you can read this later. It says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has not come, I'm sorry. Verse 24 says, most assuredly I say to you, and this is so Jesus here, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This is Jesus' answer. Do you want to meet with the Greeks? If I'm Philip, I'm like, okay, what are you saying? But in light of Christ, we know what he's saying is the hour has not yet come. Salvation has to first come to the Jew. But when my body goes into the ground as a seed, and when I rise again, it will bear so much fruit, it will be undeniable. Jesus was always sensitive and aware of where the hour was. And he knew that it was not time. This was his response to him. What I'm telling you today may be how the word of God has been coming to you and speaking to you, but you're scratching your head. It's not making sense. And I'm telling you today, if you will go deeper, get into the presence of God, you will find what you're looking for. You've got to wrestle it out with him. You've got to work through it because he's in the business of building relational a relationship with you, not just giving you what you need when there's a crisis. He has a way of using your suffering, using your pain, using the ugly parts of your life. What did Pastor Joyce say a couple weeks ago? When she got up, she gave a word. You've got to move forward. Look at Paul who murdered Christians, who has the worst rap sheet of anybody. And God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him to speak of the glory of God even to the Greeks who I couldn't imagine reasoning and and working through with a people who's so in their head. So what I'm saying is God is not scared of your mess. He's not scared of your mistakes. He's not scared of of the the hidden sin in your life. He's uh, He's not turning a cheek of when you said you were gonna change but then you didn't change. 
you've got to believe this morning as I started off with, can you abandon yourself to the God who loves you? This is the place he is wooing and he is drawing us. It says, scripture says that we are drawn to Jesus by his loving kindness. Drawn to him. Are you drawn to him today? Does he move your heart? Or does things just go out one in one ear and out the other? He's magnificent. And if you'll meditate, here's the, here's the key. If you'll meditate on the magnificence of Christ, your mind will change. Say it again. If you meditate, if you live in the space of Christ is all in all. He is above all things. He is ruling and reigning. If I meditate on the majesty of Jesus, my mind will change. As my mind changes, my heart becomes whole. And then what goes from my head to my heart out comes good works out of my hands. Hands that bless, not curse. Hands that sow. Hands that will say, I'll put my hands to wherever you lead me, whatever you want me to do. No vocation is unworthy. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment, I want you to just to meditate on his majesty. Sean, if you would put up Christ. Just bring down the lights for a moment. This isn't about anything I'm really saying. I'm just prodding and poking a little bit to get you to see him today. This is what this whole series is about. It's that we see him in his majesty. But there's never a crown without a cross. If you will take up your cross today, if you will cling to the cross, you will find power you will find love. You will find exactly what your heart needs today. Jesus, we thank you. Your presence is here. We thank you. Your love is flowing from your side today. God, we yield our hearts and we say we want to be abandoned to the God who loves us who has always loved us, who will always love us. Maybe we have strongholds today that say, God doesn't really love me. He didn't love me at that place when I did this. Or maybe there's a stronghold of, God, where were you in my pain? Where were you in my suffering? And we accuse God and we blame God. Rest assured, he was there. He's always there. He fills all things. Maybe he needs to, as you repent, and again, repent is I turn from this thing that I've put hope in or this thing, this stronghold I've thought, and I turn to a person, and his name is Jesus. So if we collectively, wherever the stronghold is, whatever the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, today can be your day of freedom. Today you can walk out a little lighter. Begin walking in freedom. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Your touch is here. Your presence is here. 
because Jesus is here. So in the mighty name of Jesus, if you would just repeat after me, say, I repent of my sin, my fear, my doubt, my unbelief, anything that has exalted itself above Jesus, I repent of. And as I repent, I now turn to you. I say, Jesus, fill me. Refresh me. Renew me. Touch me. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.